welcome to the am i hunting podcast it's december that means the late season so there's still time to fill that freezer and not eat tag soup all right what's going on thank you for listening as always so yeah like i said it is the month of december we are actually a full week into it already and let's see it's been there's been a a lot going on but also not a lot going on uh since the south dakota trip uh, back in november just before thanksgiving i've been on a few hunts uh it's kind of been a hit or miss where i've either you know haven't seen much of anything or had some opportunities which we'll get into uh with the some of the a little bit later on to the episode here but before we jump into anything as always if you like this episode make sure you hit that like subscribe to the channel share the show with your friends and be sure to head on over to mihuntingpodcast.com check out all the content available i've added an additional feature or additional page on that on the site where it's going to be essentially a blog where i have uh, recipes available and articles so make sure you check out those as they get added head on over to the store where i've added the grocery deer clothing line uh this is a, a, a design i came up with a little while ago uh basically it's uh, uh kind of a tribute to uh, dennis from south dakota any of the you know a, a smaller deer or a doe uh he that's what he dubbed them as a grocery deer i like the the um the, the phrase there uh so added a a grocery deer uh, items into the store you've got a t-shirt hoodie as well as stickers available and if you're wanting more content or like to support the show directly click that join us button become a member your membership again supports this show directly as well as grants you special access to exclusive member only content giveaways and discounts. So let's go ahead and get into the topics at hand. So I guess what we're going to do is to start out with a bit of a recap on what's been going on since uh, the last episode, really. And then I want to get into some of the things that I'm going to be focusing on for the late season, some of my tactics that I'm going to be uh, focusing on. So let's get into it. So uh, you know, basically from that South Dakota trip, got kind of home, got settled back in again, enjoyed Thanksgiving with the family. And then we did our annual, uh, deer drive, uh, for Black Friday. Uh, we ended up not having as many people as we initially intended. Uh, we kind of had a, a fairly decent party lined up. Uh, but then things, you know, as you know, happened as they may, uh, we ended up with a much smaller group of uh, individuals. We actually ended up with only just four of us uh, when we were going to have probably about double that uh, to start the day out. So uh, we had did uh, the drive, a, a few does that we saw, and then uh, one small buck. That was about it. Uh, so then from there, we kind of packed it up. And then uh, my buddy that came out for the drive, uh, Lee, he... Uh, we were just kind of sitting around chit-chatting and decided to go do some scouting uh, at a nearby parcel. Walked that area. Basically, it had a 
It had some pretty good terrain. We had kind of like an open, you know, fallow field mixed with hardwoods. And, uh, you know, had a, had a pond on it as well. Well, they, uh, according to map, it was a lake. But uh, I don't know if you could really call this a lake or not. But, and then it had some uh, terrain or I guess some elevation differences. Uh, had a small saddle in it. Scouted out and we actually uh, somewhat were surprised of the concentration of the sign. It was isolated to one area. You know, some of the terrain features that we figured would be, you know, more, you know, that would have more sign, I guess I would say. They uh, they didn't produce much fruit. However, speaking of fruit, my buddy Lee did find on one corner of the, of the pond up on a hill, there was a, a lone apple tree that still had apples on it. And down at the base of that next to the pond, there was a substantial amount of sign that led up to another area on the other side of the pond that did have uh, some sign. We basically found some rubs, uh, what looked like could be some old beds up there as well. So basically everything was kind of isolated to one side of the pond or one end of it, I guess I would say, uh, which ended up you know, being one of those things that once we found... Uh, you know, the apple tree, everything kind of made sense as to how the deer were utilizing the terrain. Uh, basically, on one end of that pond, because that's where uh, a lot of the best features were. There was, that's the edge of the fallow field. You had the apple tree, and then you had, you know, quick access from a private parcel that led across down into some other timber. And then for the rest of the rifle season after that, I mean, it it was pretty much uneventful. I ended up taking my wife out hunting. Uh, it had been, oh my gosh, so many years since uh, she's come out for a hunt with me. Uh, we had a good time. Unfortunately, we didn't see anything. Uh, we were basically just sitting in uh, in the blind overlooking the food plot. You know, it's kind of been, that's the the case um at least down at the farm you know a lot of the movement has been pretty slow i think that basically a lot of it has to do with um you know especially during rifle season those deer have been pressured so much that even the does um, don't really or weren't really wanting to come out the other issue is is that you know basically again the way the farm's broken up is that there's a you know a big field on on top near the house there's a small creek bottom that cuts kind of through the middle of the property. And then we have a food plot down at the one or the far end of the property. So I've been a few times I went out hunting and I didn't see much you know, movement or whatnot. But Mike, who owns the property, he uh, would see, you know, several deer coming out. They're still coming out to some of the or the old uh, cut cornfield. It's about 10 acres. Uh, there's still a few deer going out there, but again, a lot of the movement is at night. Uh, but it looks like some of that is starting to change as things are kind of settling down now that the regular firearm season is over. And we actually have, well, at the time of recording this, I'm going to go out one last time for uh, the last day of muzzleloader season. And then from there, we are at the, you know, then we have the late antlerless and then uh, the remainder of the late bow season. So, uh, for muzzleloader, it came down to, again, it's kind of the same at the farm. Did end up seeing a five point one evening. Um, you know, he, I think it was just a year and a half old buck. So it was kind of one of those things that, you know, I could have filled my tag on that buck as he was legal for me, but 
you know, my goal is at least for that area is to um, shoot a little bit older bucks. You know, ideally for me, you know, three years, three year old or better. Um, you know, that's kind of where I kind of want to be at least let those some of those bucks get to bigger uh, or older age classes and get to some bigger antlers as well. Some of the bigger bucks are still showing up on trail camera. I've actually had a couple new bucks show up as well. One really interesting, uh, I believe he's a six point or he may even be as a slick four point, but very tall rack, very tall tines, um, but he just doesn't have much else going on, but very, very tall, very interesting looking buck. And then it looks like we've got some similar genetics. There's another younger buck, very big body deer. But his antlers, again, aren't quite as big. So he, I suspect he is a younger deer. He's just, you know, I guess well fed, I guess I should say. And uh, he looks like he has the same genetics of that of that bigger one. Because they're very, very similar. But you can definitely tell that one is just a younger deer. So it's interesting to see uh, a different set of genetics. Uh, in the area than I've really witnessed in the past. So, and then out on public ground, I, you know, doing a lot of that again now, especially that the regular firearm season has included, you know, a lot of the other hunters have, you know, packed it up, gone home for the season, uh, went out to the, the bluffs again. And, you know, it's been tough up there. It looks like that, that area just got so much pressure. Uh, you know, there's still a sign that a lot of sign of other hunters have been up in there and you can definitely tell the deer are uh, have felt the pressure and then around here locally you know i've gone out a few times with the muscle again kind of a hit or miss of uh you know not seeing much or um i started hunting another partial that i've hunted before in the past i've actually highlighted uh here on the show where it's kind of a more of a transition area that there was an oak flat and you know started hunting that again just knowing that there's you know consistent doe movement through the area because uh, at this point you know it's basically buck or doe um you know just so i could fill the freezer and get some of these tags out of my pocket here but ended up it was last week had a doe come through figured it was a, a pretty uh, easy 50 yard shot end up shooting that doe uh, ultimately it came down to where I tracked her for it was 0.9 miles uh, very little blood fortunately there was some snow so I was able to follow the tracks as well got hung up a few different times where the deer got you know started mingling in where a lot of other deer have been a lot of tracks I had to kind of decipher kind of find my way out of that area uh, she ended up crossing the road ultimately found a, a bed that she had clearly you know gotten pushed out of there was very little blood in the bed itself this there's basically this kind of two small you know spots of blood there and then from there kind of lost the track again and lost blood you know at this point and the track it had been about four hours and i suspected that with the lack of blood and the distance that the deer traveled that it was a non-lethal hit so which kind of surprised me that things went the way they did in regards to you know the how close the deer was 
as well as as well as or and basically you know the fact that you know it was such a poor shot so at that point i couldn't figure out quite exactly what had happened was it me did i pull the shot did was the rifle or was the muzzleloader you know off which it shouldn't have been because you know just no more than two weeks prior i'd gone and sighted it in and it was you know good at 100 yards the other thing i noticed is that when the shot went off it didn't sound like it had the same pop that it usually did so i wondered if maybe the powder had gotten a little wet or if maybe the primer just didn't ignite everything like it should have you know it's kind of one of those things where I just something didn't feel right about what had happened i mean it was a 50 yard shot and the deer was broadside so there should have been no reason why uh you know things shouldn't have gone better so i ended up taking the you know taking the muzzleloader out doing some test fires again at a target and sure enough at 50 yards it's shooting a good five inches high so had to kind of spend a few more rounds to get the the scope dialed back in again i'm not sure why it you know wasn't sighted in anymore i don't you know it didn't get bumped that at least i can recall so i'm not sure if it's maybe just the you know the shock of the of shooting it that made the scope go out of whack or what had happened so but got it all sighted in again i've also done a couple more test fires afterwards to kind of make sure that it's holding this you know holding its sights and it seems to be doing fine just now so uh, i'm not again don't know what or why the difference of you know how it was shooting but everything seems to be squared away now so and then from there you know again just the other day or i guess it would be just yesterday was out same spot again knowing that there's still plenty of deer movement in the area have to give it some time to cool down after me trample around everywhere uh, tracking the deer as predicted had some decent movement had two deer kind of run through my shooting lane kind of quickly and you know at that point i was kind of thinking well maybe you know not too far away from the road about you know 230 yards away from the road maybe there's a road that in traffic that spooked them or uh, you know, it is the secondary rut going on. So those, those could be potentially being pushed by bucks because they were definitely moving, um, you know, with some purpose about 10 minutes later, sure enough, here comes another deer kind of milling around, just caught a glimpse of it, um, behind the trees, deer ends up stopping behind a tree. So I'm just waiting and waiting for it to, you know, step out to you know properly identify it at this point, you know, on state ground it was uh if it's a doe or any legal buck um it was pretty much gonna uh you know get shot so waiting and waiting next thing i know it takes off running back to the direction that it came from you know thinking like all right what just happened this deer couldn't have smelled me because you know the the way the wind is and then as i look back towards the direction of where the deer was standing and up into my shooting lane here comes a coyote uh you know chasing after the deer so it's kind of one of those things of you know had a deer again at this point i kind of moved to a different spot to give me a better vantage point a better shooting lane 
uh, you know, basically this deer had to make, you know, three, maybe four steps for, you know, to be out in my shooting lane, which seemed to be the case that, you know, had no indication that it wasn't going to do that. And then a coyote ruins it for me. So it's just one of those things where I think that it's just been that type of year for me in regards to I've had so many close calls, but yet it either I screw it up or, you know, the deer just doesn't cooperate or something like that coyote that's running through. It always seems to be something that makes it to where I just can't get it done. So I kind of laughed about it, a little frustrated of the whole situation, you know, kind of a, a mixed bag of feelings of just, oh, because at this point I've yet to harvest a deer at all. And it just seems that like every time I try, it's just something goes wrong. But then I look back at it like this is, I guess, going to be the year where I'm just learning a lot of lessons and just stick with it and, you know, keep trying. You know, I think one of those things is going to, you know, happen eventually um, if I just keep putting myself in those good situations. So speaking of putting myself in good situations, let's go ahead and get into um, how I'm going to try to accomplish that. So, you know, there's two things. Well, one is kind of dying down now. It's that I, I'm a firm believer that it occurs and that it's a, a tactic that you can, or it's something that you can key onto um, for this late season. That is the secondary rut. Uh, you know, again, it's basically, you know, any does that weren't bred during the original, the primary rut. They would, they will, they will go into cycle again until they are bred. Uh, so if you had an area where you've got significant doe numbers, there's a good possibility that, you know, some of those does may not have been bred. And then, so now you're going to have certain bucks that are aware of this and are going to, you know, seek them out and try to breed them. Again, usually we're looking at about, about four weeks from the primary rut when this occurs so kind of when that peak rut you know occurs in your area you know that's one thing that you can key on about four weeks later some of those those may go into estrus again again if they haven't been bred the other thing you're looking at is that some of the fawns as long as they've hit um you know somewhere around like 60 to 65 pounds they potentially well i guess any, as long as they've hit around 60 pounds or more, then they can potentially go into estrus as well um, for their first cycle. So if you've had some big healthy fawns, some of those doe fawns may go into estrus this year, and those bucks will certainly key it on, on those as well. And the other nice thing is too, is usually it's the bigger bucks or the older bucks that are aware of this and will key on it. You know, some of those younger bucks, those year and a half olds, may not be aware of what's going on. And they might not catch on to it. Also, those bigger bucks, you know, again, being a little bit bigger, having more mass, you're going to have the energy to be able to, you know, do some more traveling again. And, you know, seek out those, those, either those does or those fawns. So at this point, you may see, you know, scrapes opening back up. You may see some fresh rubs. You may even catch a buck cruising, um, you know, outside of the normal, you know, feed the bed pattern. So it's definitely one of those things can on the, you know, trail camera photos to see if any of that is occurring. You may even, you know, at this point, 
you, you may be able to still you know catch almost like a midday cruiser as well so for you know for me going into it i haven't seen a lot of that activity at least in some of the cameras that i have set up as cell cameras to you know on some of my scrapes some of the other ones i haven't checked in about a week's time so you know that some of that activity may be you know showing up on some of those other cameras i'm just not aware of it yet but that's one thing i'm gonna actually look into um this morning when i go out on my last muzzle hunt i'm gonna be hunting it back in the back in some cover with a scrape not too far away that i know was uh pretty uh, was pretty active during the primary rut that's the same area where I had the big encounter with the big wide eight pointer that I missed my opportunity on. And I know there's other um, decent bucks in the area as well, at least as long as they've survived so far. So I'm going to go back in there and kind of key in on that spot, uh, knowing that there's, you know, doves that travel through there. There's the scrape and I've had encounters with bucks in the past there. So it's basically kind of one of those things going back into a spot that I know that you know, doing the pre-rut was pretty good. So kind of go back into there and hope for, you know, that the movement is still there and that if there is a, you know, a buck in the area, he might, you know, hit that scrape again and be out looking for some of those does in the area that may have been, or that may be um, an estrus again. And then the same thing for down at the farm, you know, I'm going to be going out with my dad uh, here in a few days with the archery equipment again and same thing going to key on on some one of those major travel corridors where a lot of the doves come into um, the feeding sources so down or up on the top field there's a little uh, low point where there's some kind of like the field is kind of got fallow it's a little marshy down in there you've got you know briars and shrubs and whatnot growing in there um, and forbs so they kind of use that low point of the field to enter the field just on the inside of the timber there's also uh, like some form of like crab apple uh, and a, a few scrapes underneath that tree as well so i'm going to key in on that location where those does come into the field where i've gotten you know quite a bit of buck movement through there as well you know basically they're following those does out there it's just that natural travel corridor to get into the food source again same thing you got a scrape right there so if they do want to hit that scrape they'll be within shooting range so <clears throat> and then the other thing i've been focusing on again as i guess kind of said with this last you know talking about you know catching these deer going to food sources that's the big one for this time of year is if you have a good food source so you know, down at the farm we've got the food plot as well as again the old cut cornfield and then the main the you know the big field you know was plowed plowed under um so there are some different grasses and whatnot in there again not going to be the best you know the highest draw but if there is something green in there especially with those warmer temperatures and you know the snow you know not really being here you know they'll be go out there eating anything that's green um, or catching the last bit of the grain so if you've got an old egg field which we kind of got or a food plot you know that's really good the other thing is uh, i really like to key on is red oaks during this time of year again you know if you're looking at red oak during the 
you know, early season, they're not really going to be hitting those all that much. But this is the time of year where I see that pretty much every mature red oak that, you know, developed acorns, there's going to be, you know, the leaves turned up, deer in there digging. Uh, even when I was up on the bluffs uh, this last week, found a few, you know, basically a patch of red oaks and just the snow was absolutely tore up. You could see where the, the snow was tore up, the leaves were turned over and there was deer tracks all over in there. So a nice food source like that, you know, again, if you still have, um, you know, any fruit trees, I still had any, you now apples left, you know, just driving down the road, I, I saw out in the, some farmer's field, just some lone apple tree and just littered with apples um, that are still in tree and just absolutely covered on the ground. So some sort of, some form of good food source is definitely a thing you can key on um, for, you know, for that, for this time of year. So bring it back a little bit. So if you've, so key in on the last bit of the primary or the secondary rut, if you start seeing scrapes open up, if you start seeing bucks cruising, you can key in on that rut activity. Again, it's not going to be uh, nearly as active as the primary rut, but you may have, you know, one or two bucks that um you know that are kind of out there in the seeking phase a little bit they may even uh lock down on a doe which you might be again same thing if that doe's as long as you don't spook that doe out you may have an opportunity at that buck so again pretty much focusing on combination of the food source as well as that that rut activity you know again those does especially they're going to be heading towards food focusing on that food source and then those bucks may come to those food sources to check those doses or to eat. So you can kind of capitalize on both in that regard of focusing on where those does are at that good food source. If a buck's just hungry, he's going to come in and eat. If he's actually out cruising, looking for does, especially in that air, you know, he may, you know, seek out those food sources where he knows those does are going to be to go check them out. So in regards to the, you know, the times of hunt, you know, the, for late season, you know, I primarily focus on the evening hunts. Again, it's going to, you're going to be very tough to, it's going to be very tough to get into hunt any type of food source in the mornings. So I rely a lot more on those evening hunts and just, you know, isolating on those food sources. Now, if I do uh, go in for a morning hunt, kind of like I am this morning, it's going to be more in like a transition area or that travel corridor in between the food and bedding. So basically, again, this what this spot is I'm going to is we've got you know a couple of clear cuts and about 150 yards, 200 yards back from there is this little like pocket where it's just kind of like a bench. There's a little bit of like a marshy pond, depending on the you know, time of year. Sometimes it's full of water. Sometimes it's more or less dry. And it's just that you know, kind of that area where there's a transition of some of the more uh, pine cover into more mature hardwoods. So you just catch them on that edge as they travel back from food, heading back to bedding. But a lot of times too, you just gotta be careful, or at least I try to be very careful of my access route because especially, you know, being here in Michigan, those deer have been pressured quite a bit, you know, basically over the past two months. And you know, especially after the rifle season with a lot of foot traffic, 
you know, those deer are not going to tolerate much uh, pressure or, you know, perceived pressure from any hunters. So, you know, really focusing on access routes, getting in and out, really focusing on your wind. You know, by this time, a lot of even the does and younger deer are onto, you know, the smell of humans being in their area and are not going to tolerate like they had, you know, earlier in the season where, you know, if a doe or a younger deer walks, you know, downwind of you, you know, they may, you know, spook, they may not. This time of year, it's almost a guarantee that they're not going to stick around. You know, I had a, I don't, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, but, you know, went out for a late season hunt, was going to set up on the food plot, and about 40 yards out from my blind was a trail camera. So I was like, well, I'll just walk, walk the edge of the field, grab that card, and pull that card, see what was on it. Walked out, walked straight back, and while I was sitting, there was a, a year and a half old spike, or he might have been a four point, comes out. And the moment he hit my ground scent, uh, as he was coming out to the food plot, he hit the brakes, stood there for about 10 seconds, and then turned right around and walked right back into the timber. You know, one of those things that he, he clearly didn't like the ground scent and, you know, just said, nope, I'm not going out in the food plot tonight, or at least not right now anyway. So, you know, that deer, you know, earlier in the season probably wouldn't have thought twice, but probably because of all the hunting pressure and you know the and just being on edge and kind of educating himself on for the season so this time of year you know they know that pressure they felt that pressure you got to be very careful at least i try to be very careful in regards to you know the access route and not spooking the deer not allowing those deer to again especially ground scent you know a lot of times you, know, you can kind of get away with it this time of year you know i try to make sure that i walk you know at least where my ground scent is out past where i would get a shot so i'm not gonna you know cut into you know my stand area before you know to where i wouldn't be able to get a shot before deer can hit my ground scent so i will usually especially in regards to um, you know, this, this hunt that I'm going to do with my dad, the spot I'm going to sit, I'm actually going to walk out, out and around, um, you know, my stand to where the deer won't hit my ground scent until they're already out into the field a good ways, you know, basically just allowing that, you know, they're not going to hit that ground scent before they step out into a shooting lane or in an area where I can shoot them. And then, you know, covering your wind, I've seen it work in the past of using the uh the conquest set evercom you know that stuff does work in regards to um you know kind of calming down the deer a little bit you know it's not going to completely it's not going to completely cover your scent deer are probably still going to smell you but the idea is that at least by that that evercom being the wind as well it kind of chills out the deer a little bit so basically it just it smells like there's been deer in the area um yeah i think i've told this story before but it's you know i, I well actually i guess i'll give the two examples again kind of a um, you know testimonial in regards to using that some evercom to just help you out in the event that a deer does get downwind of you or that wind swirls a little bit you know, so uh one instance was is that you know 
pretty stiff wind during the late season. Had laid out, you know, a fair amount of Evercom on a couple of trees right next to the tree stand. And then a doe came through with a couple of fawns. I was going to give her the pass and let her keep going. Eventually, her and the fawns made it downwind. What she would do is she would blow. She would run, you know, 20, 30 yards back to the direction she came from, look around, walk back, catch my scent again, blow, walk back, you know, head back, jump back, you know, 20, 30 yards again. And she did this three or four times and just couldn't figure out, you know, where she was catching, you know, my scent, which she knew was danger, but then was also catching the scent of the Evercom. And... It just seemed to confuse her a little bit because she'd be looking around trying to see where those other deer were, I, I assume. And eventually, you know, this kind of went out a little bit wider than what she was trying to go through and eventually made it around me. Um, but again, didn't completely blow out of there. Didn't, you know, run off blowing like crazy. Another instance is that down at the farm, again, in December, I was hunting in some timber and I basically kind of did like a, a like a 20 yard circle around me of Evercom. So I marked like four or five different trees. Um, just putting some of this Evercom on it. You know, basically it was, I like to use the, uh, their stick, you know, dispenser where it's basically like a deodorant stick and you can just kind of, you know, rub it on a tree or whatnot. It's made with wax. So it kind of sticks and whatnot and, you know, sitting there and then a doe family group. So I think it had like two, maybe three mature does and then a couple of fawns. Well, they just kind of milling around, and while they're kind of milling around, I happened to look down at my watch to see what time it was, just so I can kind of get an idea of like, okay, this is the time the deer came through. The moment I put my head up, the the old uh, the old doe of the group, she pegged me in the tree, saw me moving. She was doing the head bob, you know, staring me down, and same thing. She kind of you know trot off a little bit she didn't blow but she you know ran about you know 15 20 yards and kept an eye on me in the tree the rest of the deer were kind of like looking at her like she was kind of crazy kind of milling around still because they were in that bubble of the of the cone of uh scent that i laid out she eventually came back and you know wasn't wasn't real keen on what was in the tree but seemed to have calmed down and actually came back and was kind of hanging out with the rest of the deer. One of the fawns actually bedded down, you know, 15 yards from the tree. Um, and it was just hanging out there. And this is at like 9, 30, 10 in the morning, I think it was. So it was one of those things that, you know, even, even getting pegged in the tree, it just kind of calmed everything down, calmed the area down a little bit. Um, you know, that's a good thing to use if, especially if you got a, a swirling wind or the wind's just not quite... Um, as consistent, you know, once you get out there, it's not going to completely prevent you from being um, busted, but it is going to buy you a little bit of time potentially to, you know, make a shot if a deer does get downwind, or like I said, if it, if that wind's, you know, swirling around or swirling around on you a little bit. So again, more important to worry about your access and, you know, the direction of the wind and hunt that, but that could help you out, you know, in those instances. And then, I mean, the big other thing is I try to key on in the late season is, um, you know, utilize or focusing on those weathering patterns. You know, at this point, I usually like to hunt, you know, just before a front, right after a front, 
and then also on those really clear, you know, high pressure days um, that you know basically are going to have you know, lack of uh, cloud cover to where it's going to suck a lot of the heat away. I usually key on on that during uh, my evening hunts over a nice food source or over the food plot. It just seems that you know whenever we get those extremely cold temperatures, you know those teens or single digits, you know those deer again have to get up on their feet to feed. And you know having that you know like cloud cover just allows that some of that heat to get pulled away a little bit sooner. And I've had good success of those deer coming out in those extreme cold temperatures onto those good food sources. And then usually right at the beginning of a of a cold front or um, you know. A, a snow any type of you know, low pressure front so anytime you're when you catch just the beginning of a snow um i've seen you know a lot of movement in that regard especially on trail cameras especially you know they'll spend a lot of those days from this like yeah, i'm not going to go out today and sure enough you know the cameras are blowing up um, as that snow starts to fall same thing immediately following that snowfall you know that that full you know 12 hours after that a lot of times I see an increased movement as well um, after that snow as well. Again, same thing can happen. You know, this time of year is kind of interesting where we're not getting rid of the snow, but we're still getting plenty of precipitation. Same thing applies to rain. So just before, just as or just before the rain starts, or if you can catch it in between, like kind of like we had um, over the past 24 hours where, you know, it's kind of like a hit or miss, you know, rain the rain lets up a little bit more rain you know last night when i hunted we had you know as i was going out i had a, a decent rain before i was even done setting up in the tree rain to stop and the sun was shining so those periods of where that rain starts to end or you get like a light misty rain towards the end uh, i do see that a lot of times those deer will get up and you know start moving once that rain lets up no different than when it's snowing so those are kind of the the things i'm really focusing on during this time of year so again it's you know food and you know weather really that's that's the two things i'm really keen on so um so going forward you know i've got this one last hunt with the muzzleloader and then it's archery season for me and then um my oldest daughter she's been chomping at the bit to get back out so initially we had bought her just a single buck or a single tag and um you know not knowing how she would you know do with it and whatnot thinking that we would get a tag later and uh the one thing i didn't realize is that if you buy a single buck tag um that you can't turn around and you know buy a second one as kind of like that combo tag uh so we're isolated just to get an antlers tag which we've got already um, so once, well, basically starting tomorrow, she is open to be able to, to uh, you know, hunt does. We're going to go out to the farm, I, you know, focus on that. That way we can use the, the 243 again. So and she's eager to harvest another deer, which, you know, maybe at this point we kind of need her to. That way we can actually get some more venison in the freezer or can some more up. So. Um, so we're going to be focused on that. I'm going to be going back to, you know, grabbing the bow and going that route. And then worst case scenario, we'll go out and, uh, harvest a few does with, uh, the rifle and let her, uh, I guess 
get the deer for the year, I guess. But so that's it. I'm gonna wrap this one up. Um, again, I gotta start getting my stuff ready to you know, go out for another hunt. Hopefully, uh, everything goes according to plan today, and I don't get any you know any more crazy scenarios or things to go wrong. So hopefully, my luck changes here. Uh, you know, today or even in the next few weeks. And then uh, for anyone else that's out there, um, still hunting, you know, still looking to fill a, fill a tag or two, best of luck to you as well. And with that, as always, get out there, be safe, and have fun.